Hello, and welcome to the Virtual CISO Chronicles podcast, where I interview a virtual CISO about their work and life. I'm your host, Caroline McCaffrey, one of the co-founders of ClearUps, which provides software to virtual CISOs that helps them grow and scale their businesses. As experts in this field, we have met hundreds of security consultants, and we keep our fingers on the pulse of the industry. My background is in law with a focus on data privacy and cybersecurity, but I also have a long career working with startups. In fact, my parents had their own business, which is why I love learning about how people build businesses. So I started this podcast to feature interesting people in cybersecurity to talk about their passions, entrepreneurship, and business. If you don't know what a virtual CISO is, then these professionals are security experts who offer consulting services to companies. Sometimes they're referred to as fractional CISOs. Our guest today is Philip Lee. Thank you so much for joining us, Philip, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So please tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your background, and then please try to include something that's non-security related. All right. Uh, my name is Philip Lee, like you mentioned. I'm a consultant at RC60 in our uh, VCSO and advisory practice. So I mainly do VCSO style engagements, helping clients build their programs. And I've been at Risky 60 for about three years now, coming up on three years. And before that, I had almost five years in the marketing technology space, doing a lot of general IT work that you can expect. For a fact that's kind of not standard security, I'm an avid traveler. I was raised in two on two continents, and I've spent most of my life kind of traveling and living all over the world. And I happen to notice from your background that you speak more than one language, which must be related to the fact that you've lived so many places, but can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so years before I was born even, my parents made a decision that they were going to raise uh, multilingual children. So when the time came for them to actually have children to raise us, they decided to do that overseas. So as a result of that, I, I picked up Hungarian, German, Portuguese along the way, mm -hmm. and that just kind of became uh, a staple of how I was raised. That's really interesting. How does that help you in the cybersecurity industry? Uh, one of the things of learning a lot of languages, living in a lot of different places, is you learn to kind of adapt to the culture and the environment you're in. It's especially helpful in consulting when you kind of come in the door and you're trying to navigate a new organization, the new cultures, not just at the company level, but also the culture of the employees that work there and compose that team. So those linguistic skills and cultural skills have translated in some very direct ways, like how I relate to my customers. How do I navigate those cultural norms, especially early on when you're trying to just get their program off the ground or help them with whatever their challenge facing is kind of navigate the cultural norms first. And do you think that, that well, let me ask this question a different way versus what I was just thinking. How did you end up picking up an interest in cybersecurity? So that was a complete fluke, uh, I must admit. So I, like I said, I started off in MarTech. It was a way of paying through my way through school. And I ended up taking off three years to go work overseas full-time during that. Uh, and when I came back and finished up school, I got a degree in strategy and innovation designed really to get you into either startups or consulting. Mm -hmm. And so once I graduated that degree, I was convinced I wanted to do strategy consulting. That was, that was where I wanted to go. Okay. Uh, however, on a whim, I took an interview with this Atlanta-based company where the two founders were from my university. And I took this interview, not knowing a whole lot about cybersecurity or the industry, but I knew I had some of that IT background. So I met with them. I heard what they described and it kind of immediately resonated with me. And I was like, well, this is something I don't know a whole lot about at the level they do it, but I could become passionate about this. And it was really about 
becoming passionate about it. I lived in Europe through the implementation of GDPR and mm-hmm. had to help my company navigate some of that. So it just it resonated very, very quickly to the point that a lot of the CISO work we do is strategy work. So it kind of closes the loop kind of nicely there. Yeah, it's very true. Um, so as someone who entered the industry, you said you entered as a consultant, like you yes. for your first- Into cybersecurity, okay. straight into consulting. So for others who might be interested in jumping with both feet into a career in cybersecurity like you did, can you maybe go through how you learned, how you yeah. developed, how you grew your skill set? Yeah, so two-pronged. One, uh, and I think the most important if you're joining a consulting firm that has a, a lot of breadth, uh, one, I would just get on every call you can. Even if you're just going to be flying the wall, off to take notes, do whatever it takes to be in as many meetings as possible on as many things as possible, whether it's frameworks, whether it's concepts, whether it's security engineering, just make an, an effort to be there, take notes. One, you'll add value to whoever you're working with, but two, you'll have a ton of stuff to digest later. It was always great for me to go like, I don't, I'm not familiar with this concept. Now I've got a homework item. I'm going to go take this home and I'm going to research this. I'm going to become as close to uh, well-versed on this as I can. So in the future, somebody uses that term or that phrase or that concept, I'm not a fish out of water. So that was the first one. That was a big one. And day one, actually, I, as soon as I signed my NDA, I, I asked to be on a client call. And that's what I did. I got on the client call and took notes. That client actually ended up becoming the first client that I was fully staffed on. And I was staffed on them for almost almost a year and a half. So kind of paid off there. The second is for me, I've always been a big learner from the reading and applying. So I did a lot of coursework. So everything from like CCSK certifications down to things like Professor Messer's uh, Security Plus course. And I just use these to kind of lay a lot of the foundational knowledge of the industry and then find ways of applying that, whether that was writing a blog post that kind of forced me to reframe these things or whether it meant putting myself into a dry run with a team member, to like talk through a concept or go through an exercise. Those two together allowed me to really, really quickly kind of level up that knowledge, building on the prior technical and IT knowledge I had. That's that's great. I mean, I, clearly you are someone who's um, who's very proactive. So let me ask you something that's, I think, a, a bit of a debate in the cybersecurity okay. community. Um, you know, I talk to a lot of people who have 30 years of experience in cybersecurity, and they have one, maybe none, certifications. And then you you see job descriptions for people in cybersecurity that require usually at least one, if not several cybersecurity certifications. What is your opinion on that sort of debate, generally speaking, that cybersecurity certifications almost become a barrier to entry? So I actually have had this conversation with HR managers who are insistent on including uh, certification in the thing, in the job description. While Mm -hmm. I hold, I think, four or five certifications or trainings that are very, very formal in nature, I'm a big believer in your journey is your journey. And what I mean by that is you're going to have to follow some steps to get to where you are, to where you have certain knowledge. If you can do that without certification, that's great. And I think a lot of those skills can be demonstrated in an interview setting with your resume, with your background, with what you write about online, with blog posts, whether you're on GitHub, whether it's just LinkedIn posts. There's a lot of ways that that knowledge can be demonstrated to the market before you even get that interview phase. 
Second, I think certifications are great. For me personally, they give me kind of a regimented study approach to a new concept or to a new domain or a way to deep dive a domain I feel really strongly in and take me to that next level. So for me personally, I love them. They're great. I have more than I can keep up with for the CPEs, <laughs> but I think it's really, we, we can't gatekeep. And some of the best professionals I know in the space didn't have a certificate or got a certification simply because it became a barrier to entry for arbitrary reasons. And it became yeah. something they had to do just to get a foot in the door, even though they already had that skill set. It became, how do I study for the exam versus how do I learn something new? Right. Right. I love that. I love the the usage of the certifications as a way to either um, learn something new or have a further understanding of a concept versus just using it as a, you know, as, as a must have check the box, which I think in cybersecurity, we all can agree. We don't like check the box. No, <laughs> we, we definitely don't. <laughs> so let's, let's pivot a little bit and talk about consulting. Mm -hmm. So when you are a consultant, I, I think of consultants as business starters and owners, you know, that you, you kind of exactly what you said, you know, your first call with a client that became your client, you represented them for a year and a half. That requires a little bit more than just expertise in cybersecurity. It requires some sales and marketing, I would argue. Yeah. So, so tell me a little bit about your desires to go and become, go to the consulting side versus going the in-house side. Yeah, so consulting is kind of unique in the way that you have to wear a lot of hats and you have to be halfway decent, a lot of different aspects, like you mentioned, sales, marketing. Uh, you have to be good at forming relationships and, and, and nurturing those. When you do consulting, you're gonna have to form a lot more relationships than you might in-house. If you've got a smaller team, you may only have 10, 15 relationships that you really have to form and nurture with consulting, there's a breadth of those. Not to mention as you're going through sales processes and helping clients figure out what are, what are they looking for? Do they need a consultant even? There's a lot of relational skills that you have to develop. So foundationally, you just have to kind of go through the exercise of putting into work in a lot of different areas and finding mm -hmm. which ones are your, your outliers. So for me, the relational aspect is huge. And a lot of the work I do starts with that relational aspect, building out the relationship with the person I'm talking to, and then nurturing that over time. You never know when that, that engineer you met with is going to be the problem solver. You need to tackle a, a compliance requirement, or you never know when that um, finance person is going to become the biggest advocate for taking an approach on the risk management that you're not getting the right traction on. And so I think if you can conquer the relational aspect, you can probably go a very long way in consulting. So that's mm -hmm. one I consider foundational. But I think the other ones, sales, marketing, those all kind of compound and they're all kind of tools in your tool that you have to have beyond the classic, well, I'm, I'm a subject matter expert on X because there's a lot of good subject matter experts out there who don't like consulting or who struggle with it because there's other aspects of it that are outside of their day-to-day -day practice. That's right. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And I would... I'm, I'm curious, do you have any anyone that you would consider a mentor who helped you with some of the, the parts of, of being a consultant that, as you just said, some people might shy away from? Yeah, so fortunately, my father was a consultant uh, for many mm -hmm. years, so I was able to lean on him pretty heavily. But then once I got into the door here at RISC-60 as well, uh, I had a, a deep bench of experienced veteran consultants, folks like Christian Hyatt and Christian White, 
but also Sawyer Miller, who put the time and the work in to mentor me through it. And as that's as I've progressed here, I've gone and found other mentors outside of this who've been really tailored to specific problems or challenges. So I've started finding mentors to help me navigate. How do I how do I value add during the sales process better? How do I hone specific skills that I now realize may be barriers to the next level or to specific markets you want to enter? What is it going to take to understand those customers better? And so I've started finding very targeted mentors to tackle a specific challenge or an opportunity I'm facing and see see what I can what I can do to build those skills. Yeah, I can see why cybersecurity works so well for you because you see, as I said before, you have a proactive approach and cybersecurity benefits from people who have a proactive approach. Yes. So um, I can see why there's such a fit here. So it um, works well with the constantly evolving timelines of things and the, the very nature of the industry is just so rapidly evolving. Being proactive has paid off because it means I'm not a set behind because I blinked. That's right. Yep. So if we look back for a year and then I'll ask you a question looks forward, but um, what what issues did you see specifically in the cybersecurity industry in 2022 that kept you the most busy? Uh, I think we saw kind of a reignited focus on companies getting the program certified in space specific programs. So there's a big uptick in getting your program certified while at the same time, as we start to get really into 2022, we saw companies that start to struggle with layoffs and losing key folks that are key to operating a program. So the struggle became how do we maintain or attain a certification when we have teams that are already kind of strapped uh, for time, resources, um, financials, or we have teams that are just can't devote time to this because it's not a day job. So that was one of the really big ones we saw last year. And took up a lot of time. It's like, how do we effectively build a program that doesn't have necessarily a security manager? How do we build a cross-functional security program that leverages 10 different folks who are well-trained on their aspect of the security program and can take the next level while we may wait to build out a security team in-house? That's super interesting. Yeah, I, I, um, I recently was made aware that because of some of these layoffs, unfortunately, you know, legal too, but security tends to be affected when there's a large uh, riff that occurs in, in a tech company. And it seems to me what is happening is a lot of these tech companies are reaching out to consultants to fill those gaps. So I'm going to ask you the forward-looking question. What industry trends are you seeing for 2023? I, I think a lot of what you just highlighted, a lot of leveraging consultants to expand things, especially with some of the the potential uncertainty in the market, folks are looking to see, okay, I don't want to throw a full-time resource at this. What can we do to kind of keep the ball rolling in a domain, right? If I want to get compliant with the new framework, or if I want to tackle new security challenges in-house, may not want to hire a person for that yet. Who can kind of float me until we've made a commitment towards this or until we ride out and, and have some certainty about the economic forecast? And so I think that'll just continue and we're already starting to see that some with some of our customers that are coming in, they may have lost security resource or they've lost uh, aspects of their team that they go, hey, look, we would love somebody to step in and help fill this gap or takes the next level so that when we can hire a resource again, or can we expand our team, we can kind of build on the work you're doing with us. Uh, and I, I think that'll just continue. And it's kind of the nature of the, the time we're in with the market. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a super, super interesting time. I, you know, I, I fluctuate between being hopeful and depressed. <laughs> and, and I think a lot of folks are like that. When you, yeah. when you open LinkedIn and you see another notice about layoffs and, and all these people in your network going, hey, I lost my job. I'm, I'm looking for something. You get super depressed. And then other times you, you see, hey, we've, we've tackled a, we've created a new way of tackling a challenge uh, that is kind of constraining our industry you get hopeful again. And so it does have a very cyclical nature to it mm -hmm. uh, for me, even more so because I'm experiencing this on behalf of about four or five clients at a time. And so feeling all of that emotion, very raw from, from multiple stakeholders. So one client may be writing that, that high right now, the other one might just really stop short of needing a hug. And yeah. so you tend to see a lot of fluctuation in that right now. Yeah, I think that's one of the interesting things about running a, a, a business where you're, you bring that expertise in is you get to see, you kind of have that, um, I mean, interesting where you work, you have that 360 view, <laughs> uh, that more sort of like, you know, looking at it from the, from the outside across many companies, you see trends, you see marketing, I mean, market uh, conditions in a way that someone who's in-house just doesn't have that perspective. Yeah, it, it can be helpful, though. It can help kind of level set for the client in-house who may not have that visibility, even if they might have a security team member in-house, a security manager, security director, because they're in-house and they're limited to their network, they may not have a very good pulse as to what other people in a similar position as their company may be facing, um, kind of how they're feeling. So it can be a really great way of just adding a little bit of extra value by being able to reassure them, hey, we're, we're seeing these other trends in the market, but also highlighting from like, hey, today's bad, tomorrow's going to be good, here's why, and kind of highlight some of the other trends we can see that because of where they are in their journey, they may be in a point where like, hey, look, it's just a lot of grind right now to get through whatever we're getting through. And clarify like, look, year two, there's a lot of opportunities. And then we've seen how you can kind of get over that initial bump, you can really sail a little smoother, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Now, you mentioned, you just mentioned LinkedIn. So I'm going to take another turn in this conversation. What do you think of the use of social media in terms of building a personal brand? Uh, I found it very helpful. It's been incredibly helpful, honestly, to connect with other folks in the security space. So by building my brand, I have people add me on LinkedIn and say, hey, I want to talk about topic X. And if you discount the vendors who are trying to sell you something, there's a lot of folks out there who are using it as a real way of connecting with folks across the planet to talk about specific challenges they may be facing or just talk about something they're passionate about. I'm pretty passionate about risk management. So a lot of my branding and my content is geared around that. So I'll have people hit me up and be like, hey, look, I'm, I'm very passionate about this. Here's a, an opportunity I'm seeing or here's a challenge I'm seeing. You just want to chat. And it may be something that happens organically as a part of an ongoing conversation over LinkedIn or other social media, or maybe something like, no, I, I want to sit and I want to grab a phone call or a meeting like this and, and have those conversations. And without social media, that becomes a lot harder to replicate. You may find those folks by going to local conferences, local networking events, but a good social media brand opens up that, that spectrum quite a bit more. And you can start meeting people you wouldn't meet through a local networking event or even large national events. Right, right. Absolutely. I've, I've uh, definitely you know, expanded my reach as much as possible on using LinkedIn, and I, I have found it to be great in terms of building up a network. Yeah. Um, what type of client do you prefer 
to work with? And I mean, small, medium, large enterprise, what is your sweet spot? So our sweet spot, we, we very particularly targeted uh, sweet spot is kind of uh, high growth tech firms. So firms that have a technology product, more often than not a SaaS product, that have kind of gone through one or two rounds of funding or are kind of, have had a recent kind of market liquidity event, so like IPO or something similar. So that tends to be our sweet spot, which is kind of perfect because you tend to have anywhere from six to 100 employees to a couple thousand. And that's when, honestly, you see the most growth out of a security program. You see the most growth out of a privacy program. It's also when they're going to have some of the, the biggest pivotal moments as they decide things like what's our privacy philosophy? What frameworks are we in line with for security? How do we go beyond just compliance initiatives? A lot of that kind of shakes out in those early moments and those kind of growth moments there. So I like that. And I love doing it in kind of this, the SaaS and high growth tech world, because while there are a lot of similarities um, at face value, right, they made all leverage cloud providers, such as AWS or GCP. Once you actually get under the hood, there's a lot of nuance with how they're tackling security and strategy programs. And while they may be kind of at the forefront of using the newest tooling or the newest scanning uh, solutions, they, they still face some of those core security challenges. You just kind of get to tackle them with folks that actually want to apply new tech and aren't kind of constrained by legacy infrastructure or large procurement processes. So it tends to be very quick moving. Hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, Philip, I, I got to tell you, I've really enjoyed talking to you today. Thank you so much for your time. Can you please let listeners know how they can find you? Yep. You can find me on LinkedIn under Philip uh, Lee. So fairly easy to find. And if you want to talk about any of these things, just shoot me a message. I'm always happy to chat. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And if you're listening, you can find all of our blogs and this podcast on Substack, which is at the Security Expert Marketplace. So Philip, thanks again. It was awesome talking to you. Thank you.